Hello, and welcome to A History of Japan. Season 8, Episode 13, The Choson Dynasty. The status quo in Korea after the Goryeo dynasty's capitulation to the Mongols in 1259 had changed considerably from its former state. While they had avoided the outright annexation experienced by China, the subjugation was still a stain on their national pride as well as a practical burden on governance and administration. Although the ruling dynasty was allowed to stay in place, it had to work around limitations imposed upon it by the UN dynasty, who were essentially distant overlords with localized lieutenants. Shortly after Goryeo's capitulation, the UN dynasty decided to change how they viewed the ruling dynasty. In 1280, UN officials renamed Korea to Zhengdong Branch Secretariat and designated the king of the Goryeo dynasty as the Grand Counselor. Mongol troops were regularly stationed in various outposts throughout the land, and these soldiers answered to the emperor of Yuan, not to the king of Goryeo. Yuan officials serving as regional governors were likewise stationed throughout the peninsula, and although they were nominally obedient to the Grand Counselor, which was the king, their practical loyalty was to the Khan, and they frequently interfered in court politics on his behalf. As for the kings of Goryeo themselves, they were also integrated into the Yuan dynasty, albeit through a more direct route. The emperors of the Yuan would constantly send their own daughters and other Mongol princesses to serve as wives to the Korean monarchs and, eventually, as the mothers of future kings. The princes born to Mongol mothers were given Mongol names along with their Korean names, and when Bilingtu Khan requested aid from Goryeo to help him reconquer China for the northern Yuan, he reminded King Gongmin that they were both descendants of Genghis Khan. However, King Gongmin had other ideas about the proper course for his nation to take in the wave of the Yuan dynasty's collapse and retreat. You may recall that Goryeo troops had already assisted Yuan armies against the Red Turbans in the mid-1350s, and that the Red Turbans invaded Korea twice afterward, possibly as retaliation. The monarchs of Goryeo had become absolutely reliant on the Yuan dynasty for their legitimacy, and now that they had been driven from China, the Korean court was divided into two factions. One group pressed for normalizing relations with the new Ming dynasty of China, while the other favored preserving relations with the Yuan, even if that meant outright war with the Ming. When the troubles with the Red Turbans deepened in the mid-1350s, King Gongmin initially decided to take advantage of the chaos by seizing the Liaodong Peninsula from the remnant Mongol garrisons there. The name Liaodong Peninsula may sound familiar because it seems like it comes up every season when discussing China and Korea. This contested bit of land was now in the hands of the Goryeo dynasty, and it was a huge win for King Gongmin. Under normal circumstances, this would have meant war with the Yuan dynasty, but they were far too busy with the burgeoning rebellion to be bothered about Liaodong. The seizure of Liaodong was greatly aided by a Korean official who was working for the Yuan dynasty who defected to the Goryeo kingdom. 
His name was Yi Jiachun, and his change in loyalty was rewarded with titles and a position at court. His son, Yi Songye, served as a leader in Goryeo's military and would end up making quite a name for himself. The pro-UN officials greatly disliked King Gongmin's anti-Mongol stance, and they obstructed him at every opportunity. He wanted to reform land ownership as the UN had ceded much of Korea's farmland to their own officials who collected tax as absentee landlords. The pro-UN faction made an alliance fairly easily with nobles on the anti-UN side to oppose those measures, however, given that many of the nobles were also the rightful owners of large tracts of lands which they would rather not give up. In 1365, tragedy struck King Gongmin when his wife Queen Noguk died from complications during childbirth and their baby likewise perished. He withdrew from public life and left governance of the realm in the hands of a Buddhist monk named Pyongjo. This monk took it upon himself to continue King Gongmin's reforms, but after a few years he was without any real supporters. In 1371, in response to uproar from the nobility, King Gongmin had Pyongjo executed and returned to his duties as king. If King Gongmin had managed to produce an heir or found some way to name a successor who, like himself, preferred normalizing relations with the Ming dynasty, it is entirely possible that the Goryeo dynasty may have continued ruling for centuries to come. If the accounts written during the Choson dynasty are accurate, he coerced a group of his courtier's sons to impregnate his concubines, and when one managed to conceive, he ordered that particular young man to be murdered. Instead, in 1374, several men, including his intended victim, snuck into the king's chambers one night and killed him in his sleep. After his death, the throne was occupied by one of his alleged illegitimate children who was known as King Wu. I say alleged because no one seemed to know about this mistress until suddenly there was a vacant throne, and a woman claiming to be his true mother, a former servant of Pyongzhou, was executed. King Wu was supported by the pro-UN faction of court who seized power upon King Gongmin's death. They spent the next several years undoing what few reforms King Gongmin had managed to push through and argued in favor of a hostile stance vis-a-vis the Ming dynasty. The ensuing years of King Wu's reign were largely consumed with waging war against the pirates who once more plagued the coasts of the Korean peninsula. While these were designated as Japanese pirates by the Korean authorities, the buccaneers themselves hailed from various backgrounds, largely East Asian. The general Choi Yong was brought back from exile where he had been sent by orders of the late King Gongmin. Along with General Yi Xiongye, Choi Yong made great successes against the pirate menace, thanks in no small part to a scientist named Choi Muson, who made some incredible advances in gunpowder weaponry in Korea. It is because of Choi Muson that Korea became capable of producing its own gunpowder and he also created new types of weapons which gave the Korean Navy a massive upper hand against increasingly aggressive pirates. In addition to creating a new kind of fire arrow, Choi Muson also created an array that was capable of firing several of them at once, potentially making him the inventor of the multiple rocket launcher. 
1376, a massive coordinated army of pirates seized the town of Gonju on the western side of the peninsula. Generals Yi Songye and Choi Yong made good use of Choi Musan's inventions and drove them out. In 1380, another massive pirate fleet of around 500 ships approached the western peninsula, intent on plunder and conquest. Although their defense fleet had only 100 ships, the Goryeon navy easily defeated the pirates by using shipboard cannons and other new weapons for which the buccaneers had no defense. While Generals Yi Songye and Choi Yong collaborated well enough when fighting against pirates, they were on opposite sides of the Ming versus Yuan conflict. While Choi Yong supported hostility toward the Ming, Yi Songye was much more of a realist. By the 1380s, there was every reason to believe that the Ming dynasty was there to stay, and there were no practical indicators that the northern Yuan would be capable of restoring their domination over China. In the late 1380s, everything came to a head very quickly when the Ming dynasty announced its intention to establish a command post in an eastern province of Goryeo, and the anti-Ming faction at court convinced King Wu to order a punitive expedition against the Ming army currently occupying the Liaodong Peninsula in 1388. General Choi Yong recommended sending an army under Yi Songye, what happened next seems obvious in hindsight, but I believe the danger was less clear in the moment itself. Although he favored normalizing relations with the Ming dynasty, Yi Songye had never, up to this point, been anything other than a loyal officer fighting on behalf of King Wu. Choi Yong probably thought that Yi Songye would finally join the anti-Ming faction once he had crossed swords with these enemies, or perhaps that he would die in the fighting and at least be removed as a potential threat to Choi Yong's own power and influence. For his part, Yi Songye made his objections to this provocative act very clear in a letter of protest. He listed four primary reasons why the Ming should be left alone. One, that it was against Confucian logic for a smaller nation to attack a larger one. Two, the summer crops still needed planting, but this would not be done if those farmers were fighting the Chinese alongside him, which could lead to a later famine. Three, if the pirates in the south reorganized, there would be no one to resist them with his army deployed in the north. And four, the seasonal rains would render his army's bows unusable and also encourage disease in the army's camp. All of these sound like perfectly logical reasons to at least delay the attack until the proper season, but King Wu and the anti-Ming faction would not be dissuaded. Perhaps they thought that Yi Songye was a warrior of the same character as Kusunoki Masashige, and expected that he would sacrifice his own life to protect the realm. Unfortunately for them, Yi Songye was no Kusunoki Masashige. In an event which is tempting to classify under the official historical category of what did you think was going to happen, General Yi Songye took his army to the northern border and then promptly led them back into the interior of Korea with the intention of overthrowing the government which had deployed them. The official accounts claim that Yi Songye saw how massive the Ming army was and decided it would be better to rebel against King Wu than sacrifice the national defense to future Ming domination. While this is possible, the official account was written by partisans of Yi Songye, so it makes sense to be skeptical of this somewhat flattering account. 
Given that he was now in control of the largest armed force in the nation, General Yi Songye's coup was predictably successful. King Wu was deposed and imprisoned, and his son put on the throne in his place, ruling as King Chang. General Choi Yong was executed along with many of the anti-Ming partisans, and even newly minted King Chang was dethroned in the following year and imprisoned with his father on the grounds that neither legitimately descended from the late King Gongmin. A new Goryeo sovereign was enthroned, King Gongyang, and both former kings were poisoned. The late King Wu bears the distinction of being the only monarch in Korea's history who did not receive a posthumous temple name. King Gongyang was descended from King Sinjong, who ruled Goryeo nearly 200 years earlier. Although he possessed no political ambitions of his own, he was used as Yi Songye's puppet to satisfy the Goryeo loyalists who disliked the idea of supporting the founding of an entirely new dynasty. Chief among the loyalists was a scholar official named Chong Mongju, who very loudly voiced his disapproval of abandoning the Goryeo dynasty entirely. When Yi Songye's son Yi Bangwan made one last attempt to convince Chong Mongju that the Goryeo dynasty could be replaced, the old man rebuffed him and made it clear that he would not change his mind. Yi Bangwan then decided to assassinate the obstinate partisan, thus removing the final obstacle to his father's ascension. In 1392, shortly after the death of Chong Mongju, King Gongyang was dethroned, and General Yi Songye declared the birth of a new dynasty to rule Korea, the Choson Dynasty. To explain this name, we need to reach all the way back to season one of this podcast, specifically the episode Meanwhile in China and Korea. One of the earliest polities to emerge in the recorded history of ancient Korea is referred to as Go Choson, but this is a name which was conceived during the later Choson dynasty, who named themselves after the ancient dynasty as an attempt to cast themselves as restorers of ancient traditions rather than the ambitious usurpers which they objectively were. The name Choson means shipbuilding, which was extremely appropriate to the Choson dynasty as naval power would become more important to the Koreans than ever. The pirate menace was a constant problem, and was becoming so profitable that some shugo daimyo of Japan's smaller western islands like Tsushima began supporting the plundering and pillaging. General Yi Songye restyled himself as the founding emperor of this new dynasty, taking the name Taejo, meaning founder. The Ming dynasty greeted the news of new pro-Ming rulers in Korea with great celebration, but they were not alone. The Muromachi Bakufu was delighted at the change in leadership, and Ashikaga Yoshimitsu himself was very impressed with the delegation sent from Choson to proclaim the new dynasty. The kingdom of Ryukyu sent congratulatory delegations, as did Siam, which is today called Thailand. International recognition was only part of establishing the legitimacy of the new Choson dynasty. King Taejo carried over most of the leadership who had served under the Goryeo dynasty, provided of course that they had survived his earlier purges of loyalists. Chong Dojian was King Taejo's chief state counselor, the highest office in government short of monarch, and he became known for his somewhat radical semi-Mencian views of government. 
He had worked as a bureaucrat under the Goria, and when they were overthrown, he openly argued that they had actually given up their right to rule because of corruption and bad governance. He saw society as being primarily composed of three groups, a large base of common farmers and artisans, a moderate-sized class of middle-class intellectuals, and a small class of bureaucrats and administrators. In his view, anyone outside those three classes, including religious clergy and entertainers, were a danger to the cohesion of society. He believed that government existed for the benefit of the people, and that any government which neglected the common good was illegitimate. Like most Korean sovereigns, he had taken many wives and thus had many children. His fifth son, Yi Bangwan, had arguably contributed the most to the cause of overthrowing the Goryeo, killing Jongmonju in order to prevent opposition to his father's ascension. However, he and Chang Dojon had a fierce rivalry and an open dislike for one another, which made King Taejo consider naming his younger son, Yi Ban Sok, to the position of crown prince instead. Supposedly, Chang Dojon convinced the king to name his younger son as his successor, and that led Yi Bangwan to kill him in 1398, along with his partisans and his younger half-brother Yi Bang Sok and his brother as well. Chang Dojon would suffer the further indignity of having his reputation ruined for many centuries after his death. He would be cast as a villain in historical sources and added to lists of corrupt officials who deserved to die, until well into the 1700s, when his contributions were recognized and his villainous appearance in the sources attributed to the winners writing the history books. Horrified by the violence of his son and still in the midst of mourning the death of one of his wives, King Taejo named his son Yi Banghua as his successor and immediately retired ensuring that Yi Bangwan would be denied the crown for the moment. His son was made the new sovereign and is remembered as King Chongjong. Although he had been denied the throne for the moment, Yi Bangwan was still one of the most influential of King Taejo's children, and King Chongjong heeded his brother's advice very closely. When King Taejo's fourth son, Yi Banggan, raised an army to fight against the forces loyal to his brother Yi Bangwan, their forces met on the battlefield in 1400, and Yi Bangwan's army was victorious. His elder brother was placed in exile, and the ringleaders of his army executed. King Changjong retired after a reign of less than two years, and at last it was Yi Bangwan's turn to sit on the throne. He was installed as King Taechong. Although King Changjong had only reigned a short time, he had enacted some significant reforms which his brother would build upon. First, he abolished the old Privy Council and replaced it with the State Council of Choson, a body which was led by three high state councillors who oversaw the ministries of the government. He also enacted a ban against private armies, something which his brother would enforce. The ascension of King Taejong was controversial even in its own time. After all, this was a man who had murdered two of his own brothers and fought a battle against another brother in his relentless ambition for the throne. The retired King Taejo refused to give him the royal seal, an important symbol of legitimacy for the ruling monarch. King Taejong seems to have understood this as a challenge, 
So he took measures to prove to his father that he was worthy of the seal and of the office which he had won, in part, with blood. Although he had killed Chong Dojon, he undertook several policies which I imagine the late counselor would have philosophically appreciated. He kept the state council in place and bolstered its authority. He revised the laws regarding taxation of landholdings, which resulted in a windfall of tax revenue, mostly from large landholders who had been hiding their vast tracts from those in power to avoid paying their fair share. He also ordered the installation of a great drum in front of the royal palace, which common people were encouraged to strike when they needed to consult with the king about a problem, a maneuver which I think the very commoner-minded Chong Dojon would have thought essential for a ruling sovereign. None of these efforts succeeded in reconciling King Taejong to his father, and the retired King Taejo died in 1408, having sent away every delegation which his fifth son sent to him in hopes of mending the breach between them. In spite of his somewhat violent political origins, King Taejong is remembered largely as a decent and beloved king of Choson. He promoted Confucianism, seized the property of Buddhist temples which were closely associated with the Gorya dynasty, and added their value to the national treasury. He sent armies to suppress Jurchen raiders who were growing bold in their raids of northern Korea, and sent punitive expeditions against Wakol pirates in the south. He ruled over the state council as an absolute monarch, but he did grant some measure of independence to the nation's supreme court, and did not generally interfere in their duties. In 1402, the Gangido was originally produced, which was a map of the known world drawn from the knowledge of Korean traders. It includes Japan, China, the Arabian Peninsula, Africa, and even Europe, although the map gets much less accurate in its western half. The original is sadly long gone, but I will post images of later copies on the supplementary post for this episode. In 1418, King Taejong abdicated in favor of his third son, Yi Do. His first son was his initial choice for crown prince, but he was removed from that position when it became apparent that he loved recreation and frivolity more than learning governance. It is suspected that when Yi Do became King Taejong's obvious favorite, that his two older brothers voluntarily removed themselves from potential candidacy as they feared otherwise meeting the same fates as their uncles years before, who were killed by their father. The new sovereign, crowned as King Sejong in 1418, is remembered as one of the greatest monarchs in Korean history. He kept former King Taejong as an advisor, and on his advice took the fight to the Wako pirates by ordering an invasion of Tsushima Island in 1419. Korean accounts of the invasion differ from the Japanese accounts for obvious face-saving reasons, so I will try to be fair to both sides here. According to Korean sources, the invasion of Tsushima was a resounding success, with many pirate ships destroyed and the Seoul clan, who governed Tsushima, agreeing to act as subjects of the Choson dynasty and pay yearly tribute to their rightful king, King Sejong. The Japanese accounts are a bit more nuanced, claiming that the island was bravely defended and that the invaders returned back after some initial successes and that the tribute accepted was a way of keeping the peace. In 1420, King Sejong created the Jade Hall, which is also called the Hall of Worthies, an institution dedicated to academic research. 
Among the scholars who worked in the Jade Hall to further the technological advancement of the Choson dynasty was one Zhang Yongxi, a prolific inventor and engineer who produced many useful and interesting creations for the king. Zhang Yongxi first created a celestial globe meant for measuring the distances between astronomical objects. Working from the books and manuals from Chinese and Arabian astronomers, his first attempt did not work as well as he hoped it would. Later, however, he created an armillary sphere, which looks like a set of interlocking rings, which accurately indicated the position of the moon, sun, and stars. He also improved the iron movable type printing press, and his version allegedly printed at least twice as fast as the model built during the Goryeo dynasty. He traveled to China in the 1430s and returned ready to build a self-striking water clock, which accurately measured time and struck every hour on the hour. Unfortunately, it was since destroyed, but many recreations still exist today. King Sejong's reign represents a kind of golden age for Korean learning and literacy. It was during his rule that the Korean phonetic alphabet system of Hangul was created, allegedly by the king himself. Although it is more likely that some members of the Jade Hall actually created the writing system, Hangul forever changed literacy in Korea. Previously, they had used a version of the Chinese writing system which they adapted to Korean phonetics. Hangul has 24 basic letters and a little over two dozen complex letters. This was much simpler than the Chinese writing system and made literacy among the commoners a practical possibility. King Sejong's administration was known for being especially generous to both commoners and slaves. In 1426, enslaved women who gave birth were given 100 days of maternity leave, which was later expanded to include the month before they were likely to give birth. In 1434, husbands were given 30 days of guaranteed paternity leave when their wives gave birth. Buddhism certainly took a few hits during the Choson dynasty, however, as the religion came to be seen as a relic of Goryeo rule. Confucianism was favored over it, even though Confucianism was much more of a civic philosophy than a religion, and only two forms of Buddhism ended up surviving Joseon rule, the sects of Son, which is Zen in Japan, and Go, which was much more of an academic sect. All of the others had their lands seized, their monks defrocked, and their temples destroyed. King Sejong also issued a decree against Korean Muslims, who were referred to as the Huihui people. Islam had been introduced to Korea through the Yuan dynasty, but under King Sejong, Korean Muslims were forbidden from wearing head coverings and banned from worshipping in the mosque which had been built in Kaesong. We don't know for certain what became of that medieval Muslim community, but Islam does not seem to have survived the Choson dynasty in Korea, though it would be reintroduced later. During the Goryeo dynasty, many Jurchens and Kitans came to live within the realm, though they tended to live apart from Korean people, keeping their own traditions and living in secluded communities. They were gradually designated as Pegjong, a word which previously had merely meant commoner, but which during the Goryeo dynasty had come to mean outcast. Although King Sejong officially registered the Pegjong families in the government registries and granted them land to farm and tend, prejudice from Koreans was still rampant, and often Pegjong were made to adopt outcast occupations like butchery. 
The Pekjong themselves seem to have preferred separation and continued keeping their traditions in song, dance, and craftsmanship as they created wicker goods of all kind and largely eschewed farming. Eventually, King Sejong developed diabetes, the complications of which took his life in 1450. He had taken the Cholson dynasty from a family of blood-soaked usurpers to a respectable clan who promoted learning, innovation, good government, and literacy. Next time, we will return to Japan, where Ashikaga Yoshimitsu is about to reach heights which no shogun before him ever dreamed. Until then, thank you for listening. If you would like access to exclusive bonus episodes, as well as ad-free versions of the regular episodes, please consider supporting this podcast at patreon.com slash ahistoryofjapan.